We'll be looking at the first six verses, which say this. The word of the Lord, or the word of Jehovah, Yitwah, which came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, I will completely remove all things from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will remove man and beast. I will remove the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and the ruins along with the wicked. And I will cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. So I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place and the names of the idolatrous priest along with the priest. And those who bow down on the housetops to the host of heaven, and those who bow down and swear to the Lord, and yet swear by Milcom, and those who have turned back from following the Lord, and those who have not sought the Lord or inquired of him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we realize that all scripture is inspired, and it is profitable. And we need the message of the book of Zephaniah, Lord, and what it's designed to reveal, this nation needs this book of Zephaniah. We need it as a state. We need it as individuals. And so I pray that the Spirit of God would take this book, and as we do our best to accurately crawl through it, I pray that you would just be about doing a work, and we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a time where people are so gullible that many times they'll believe things that just aren't true. In fact, oftentimes the scientific world will come up with some theory and present it to people, and the people will believe a theory that's just bizarre. For example, a few years ago, there was a theory that was given to people that said hot water will freeze faster than cold water. So contrary to the real laws of physics, you have a group of theorists telling people that hot water will freeze faster than cold water. What a delusional bunch of nonsense that is. Logic tells you if you take a glass of cold water outside and you take a glass of hot water outside, the cold water is going to freeze much faster than the hot water because the hot water is going to have to get down to the freezing point before it can even begin to freeze. But regardless of the truth, people believe theoretical fallacies. They believe this stuff all the time. There's a theoretical fallacy that is propagated all over the world and even in many churches. The fallacy is we don't have to worry about judgment. We don't have to worry about judgment. Just this week, people in Ohio were having a party, a Mardi Gras type of party, because the state voted to kill babies. It went through on their day of election. And you would think you're looking at a great party. I mean, these people are cheering and they're drinking and they're involved in revelry and they're whooping it up. And their whole concept is everything is good. God is good. We're happy. There's a loving God. And as one bizarre commercial says, he gets us. Everything is fine. The world has nothing to fear. That's a bunch of nonsense. That's a bunch of nonsense. Zephaniah was living in a world like that where most of the people that he knew believed that kind of nonsense. In fact, the political and religious leaders were telling people just that. They were telling people, you have nothing to fear, you have nothing to worry about, you're just fine. Everything's great in your relationship with God. Then along comes Zephaniah. 
And Zephaniah says, look, you need to understand this. God's going to completely destroy everything. You need to be warned. God is going to completely destroy everything and everyone from the face of the earth as a ferocious judgment against all those who've demeaned him and all those who've turned against him and his word. Now, Zephaniah is a hard-hitting book. It presents severe judgment against the world. It presents severe judgment against Israel, severe judgment against Judah, severe judgment against Jerusalem, and severe judgment against all humanity. And right from the beginning, it's a book that warns it's deadly serious. You know, back in April of 1775, Paul Revere got on a horse and he rode 12.5 miles to announce that there were 700 redcoats from Britain that were coming and they needed to prepare to fight. Now he did not warn them because he thought riding a horse at midnight would be fun. He went out and made that ride because he was warning these people you need to take action. And that's what Zephaniah is doing. Metaphorically speaking, he's on a midnight run. He's presenting prophetic truth. He said, you don't realize how late the hour actually is. You do not realize that judgment is on the way, and the only chance that you have to escape this is to be part of a small remnant that's right with God. Now, from verse 1, we see that this is the word of the Lord, which came to Zephaniah. So the first claim the book makes is this is the word of God. It's the word of the Lord. Now, Zephaniah is introduced as one who is the great-great-grandson of Hezekiah, who was a very godly king. But it's interesting that when you read Zephaniah's book, he has no political ambitions whatsoever. You don't find him saying, you know, my great-great-grandfather was king of this area, and I'd kind of like to be part of that too. You don't find Zephaniah saying that. What you discover about Zephaniah is he was a fearless communicator of God's word, no matter how negative it was. But what makes this writing so impacting is not his pedigree that he's connected to Hezekiah. What makes his writing so impacting is it's the word of the Lord. It's the word of the Lord, and that's what makes it so impacting. This is the word of God. And it is also stated that he got his word in the days of Josiah, Josiah who was king of Judah. Now, it is specifically mentioned that Josiah was the son of Ammon, who was the son of Manasseh. He was one of the most evil, corrupt leaders that Judah had ever had. He was one who built altars to Baal. He promoted idol worship. He worshiped the sun, the moon, the stars. He even placed idols in the temple of Jerusalem. He was a guy who practiced witchcraft. He was deeply involved in the occult. And when Ammon succeeded his father Manasseh, he was rotten to the core. He eventually got assassinated. He only lasted two years after Manasseh was dead. And Ammon died, and Josiah succeeded him, and Josiah decided he was going to do what was right in the sight of the Lord. And the best thing that Josiah did when he was promoted to be king was he decided to listen to the counselors like Hilkiah, who had found the word of God and had reported it to King Josiah, and he said, you know, maybe, maybe we ought to take God's word seriously now. And more than likely, Josiah had been listening to counselors who'd been telling him, you know, you've got a prophet out there. His name's Zephaniah. He's related to Hezekiah. And Zephaniah is out there, and he's proclaiming like a Paul Revere messenger that the judgment of God is on the way, and maybe we better pay attention to what he's saying. 
And in the opening message of Zephaniah, it's potent. It's a message from God. Commentators don't like this message. In fact, they tamper with it. They say, well, this can't literally be true. This can't be literally what God's going to do. But then you keep reading those personal pronouns, I. God said, this is what I'm going to do. So if you want to quibble with whether or not God's going to literally do it, then take up the argument with the Lord, God, since he's a God who cannot lie. We know that from the book of Titus. I would assume what he's saying here is true. In fact, you'll see this whole section is filled with many I personal pronouns of what God's going to do. Now, some things that are in this list were partially fulfilled in the Babylonian captivity in 586 B.C., some 38 to 39 years after Zephaniah made the prediction. Some things in the list will be fulfilled in the Great Tribulation. We'll point that out just before the Lord Jesus Christ comes to establish his kingdom on earth. And some things in the list will be fulfilled when Christ burns up the world. When he creates a new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem, according to 2 Peter 3.10, he'll burn up the universe. All things in the list are prophetic promises of God, and I don't want to be the one who says, oh, don't take it literally. Just figurative stuff. And there are 12 prophetic promises that Zephaniah makes as he kicks off his writing. First of all, God's going to completely remove all things from the face of the earth. Verse 2, I'll completely remove all things from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I want you to notice this is declarative. Declarative. Whenever you read that, I will completely remove all things from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. What God is doing is he's making a declarative judicial promise that that's what I'm going to do. Zephaniah gets right to the point. He's not starting out with, well, let me say something that you'll like me for saying. He doesn't say, let me see if I can somehow appease you and make you feel good about yourself. I mean, he just starts off and launches into this. And he said, I want you to understand something. You're heading to the judgment and wrath of God in which he's going to completely remove all things from the face of the earth. And the all things means just that. I have analyzed that in the grammar. That's what it means. All things. Animate, inanimate. This judgment's not going to be like other judgments. It's going to be a massive, all-inclusive judgment. This is going to be, as I would understand it, a comprehensive annihilation. I mean, that's what God's saying I'm going to do. I'm sick of the world. I'm sick of looking at people running the world that are taking it away from me. They're making mockery of righteousness. They're making mockery of truth. I've had enough. And God starts off by saying, I'm going to pour out the ultimate judgment on this world that will remove everything, everything. And the verb remove, asaf, is one that carries with it the idea, I'm going to gather things up, kill them, and destroy them. That's the word. In other words, God basically says, I'm going to pour out a judgment like people have never seen, and I'm going to actually see to it that things just vanish and perish and disappear. And Zephaniah begins by saying, this is what God is going to do. And ladies and gentlemen, I believe eventually this is exactly what he's going to do. He will eventually do this to the whole world. Now as we gather here tonight, we may conclude this hasn't happened yet. So either this is some prophetic fairy tale or fantasy that God's just throwing in his word for the fun of it, or this is a prophetic prediction of a reality that is yet to happen. And we think there's plenty of evidence to indicate that 
This is probably a literal prophetic reality of things yet to happen because if we track what happened to Judah and Jerusalem, we can prove this certainly was no prophetic fairy tale. There's a prediction of what God will literally do to this world and everything in it. As we mentioned in the book of Zephaniah, the only group that has any hope of survival at all is the remnant that's right with the Lord, right with God. The remnant right with God can survive and be blessed of God in the process of when God's pouring out judgment. Now, from studying the book of Revelation, we know that God's most ferocious judgments will occur over a seven-year period during the Great Tribulation, and I think the hour is nearing. We're going to be raptured before the Tribulation, but I do think we're nearing that time. I think clouds are forming. And during the first three and a half years, God is going to do some of the things on the list in various parts of the world, and he will do it in places other than Israel and the Middle East. And when God is doing these things, we learn when we studied the book of Revelation, billions and billions of people and animals are going to die. The death count is staggering. We did the math in those Revelation passages. We computed that at least 4 billion people are destroyed. There are only 8 billion people in the world. That's just the tribulation. The description of what God will do is found in Revelation chapter 6, 8, 9, and 16. And during that time, billions of people and animals are literally going to die. Why? A judgment of God. He says, I'll remove people. I'll remove things from the earth. Secondly, I'll remove man, beast, birds, and fish. Verse 3, I'll remove man and beast. I'll remove the birds of the sky and fish of the sea. Again, we learn of these judgments during the tribulation. Human life, animal life, bird life, aquatic life will all perish. All creation has been corrupted by the fall. All creation is going to be judged. The only way that a person has a chance of surviving this is get into a right relationship with the Lord. Now, when humans die, that would really have no effect on the animal life, bird life, or aquatic life. But God specifically says, when I carry out this judgment, when I actually pour out this judgment on this world, I will include those other forms of life. I'm not only going to destroy man, I'll destroy everything else too. And what we learn here is that no judgment like this has yet occurred because no judgment has been fulfilled that is like this. When Assyria destroyed Israel in 722 BC, or when the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem, I mean took it right down, leveled it in 586 BC, or when Rome destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD, there were still animals, there were still animals in the area, birds and fish. In fact, today Israel is known for their tilapia. They're known for tilapia. You could go to Israel and you can get sea bass and you can get trout and you can get salmon. When this prophecy is ultimately fulfilled, they won't exist. Because God says, I'm going to remove them. I'll destroy them. I'll destroy because of this corrupt world. And we learn, for example, in Revelation chapter 8, verses 8 to 11, that in just one judgment of the tribulation, God will destroy one-third of all life in the oceans and one-third of the fresh water supplies in the world. So God says, you need to understand this. My judgment is coming. You're making a mockery of me. I'm watching this. I'm monitoring this. My judgment is coming. That's what Zephaniah warns. 
Now, the third promise is God will remove the ruins of everything. Verse 3, he says, and the ruins along with the wicked. God says, I'm going to remove everything that ruined people with the wicked. In other words, when this judgment comes, I will hit every group and every religion that isn't right with me. All of those wicked people and wicked places are going to be destroyed. In fact, the illusion here is there'll be no ruins that will remain. No ruins will even be in existence that were causing people to drift in their relationship with the Lord. Now, we know that that hasn't happened yet because you can travel and see things today that have led people astray. For example, you can go see that Dome of the Rock shrine that's in that temple area of Jerusalem, and you can look at that. That whole false religion of the Muslim religion has just led people right away from the truth of God. It's still standing. So we know this hasn't happened yet. Because the promise here is when I carry this out, it'll be long gone. You'll not be able to find any hint of the Mormon religion in Salt Lake City when this happens. You won't be able to find any hint of the Muslim religion in Mecca. You will not be able to find one hint of the Buddhism religion in Japan or Taoism in China. You will not see that Dome of the Rock shrine on Israel's Temple Mount. It will be gone. All false idols will be gone, including their ruins. God said, that's what I'll do in my judgment. The fourth promise is, I'll cut off man from the face of the earth. He says that in verse 3, and I'll cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Notice there's another declaration statement. So once again, after making these astounding predictions of what he's going to do, Zephaniah says, this is what God's declaring he's going to do. These judgments are going to come against sinful man. I'm declaring it so. Now here's the promise. The promise is God is going to cut off every human being from the earth, and that's exactly what he has done, is doing, and that's what he's going to do. And it doesn't matter who we are. One day we'll be cut off from this earth. Hopefully it will come through the rapture. It may not. It may come through our own personal death. It may come through some direct judgment of God. I don't know, but every one of us will be cut off from the earth. And the only chance that we have for survival is to be the remnant group that's right with the Lord. What that means is we need a relationship with Jesus Christ. If we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have nothing to fear when we leave this world, when God said, I'm taking man off this planet. Which brings us to the fifth promise, God will stretch out his hand against Israel. Verse 4, so I will stretch out my hand against Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Jewish people would be very wise right now to understand this point. Your Messiah came to you. You rejected him. Your religious leaders led you to reject him. They're still leading you to reject him. You need to understand what is being predicted here. Because before the Lord Jesus Christ comes back again, to give you the kingdom that he's promised he will give you, you're going to experience some very negative things. The disaster that you're experiencing right now in Gaza is nothing compared to what he promises is going to happen in the tribulation. In fact, the Antichrist is going to target you and try to destroy you from every corner of the world. So Jewish people would be very wise right now to take Jesus Christ seriously. 
Jewish people would be very wise to invite the Lord Jesus Christ to take over their lives because things are going to turn against Israel. And if you don't think that's happening, just look at the news headlines. Anti-Semitism is building now worldwide. Worldwide. And there seems to be an underlying escalation of anti-Semitism building in Europe, which is clearly predicted as a key matter that will play out in the tribulation. Now, what's predicted here is that when God's judgment comes, much of it will turn directly toward Israel. It'll hit the world, but not just the world. The judgment will hit the world and will hit the pagans because of the anger of God. But then God says, I'm going to also hit and target Judah and Jerusalem. And he specifically names it. I'm going to target that city. It's going to be a central place. And that's what Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation that was spoken of by Daniel the prophet here in Jerusalem, when you see that, get out of that city because destruction is on the way. Well, the abomination of desolation is going to be the moment when the Antichrist goes into that temple that's going to be rebuilt. Shortly after the rapture, that temple is going to be rebuilt. And the Antichrist is going to go in there and demand that he be worshipped as God. And this all coincides with what you learn in the book of Revelation. And what God is telling his people is, I'm going to pour out a judgment against Israel, and you need to be willing to draw close to me or you won't survive it. I will pour out my wrath on this Christ-rejecting, Israel-hating, God-mocking, Bible-scoffing world. And when I get done with the first three and a half years, pouring out my anger on that, I'm coming after Israel. Which brings us to Zephaniah's sixth promise, God will cut off any idolatrous remnant. He says in verse 4, and I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place. When the rapture occurs, all that's going to be left here will be false religion, with the exception of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists that God will single out in Revelation chapter 7 and chapter 14, and also those two prophets that will be in Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 11. That group right there will have a handle on the truth. Everywhere else in the world will be nothing but false, idolatrous religion. I don't think people understand how serious it is for them to go to a place where they're saying we're going to worship God when it's not really committed to carefully and accurately understanding the truth. I don't think they have the foggiest idea. Oh, this will be fun on Sunday. Let's just go there. God says, I've watched this. I've seen what religion has done. Baal worship was something that came into existence during the time of Ahab and Jezebel. Manasseh promoted it at the highest level. They taught that Baal was the one who was bringing fertility to crops and bringing fertility to the land, and it reached such a horrible level of depravity. It included temple prostitution, orgies, and child sacrifices. Religion is a big problem, and God said, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of seeing religion. They're not after truth. They're not after a right relationship with me. I'm going to cut it off. And then he says, I'll cut off all false religious leaders. At the end of verse 4, and the names of the idolatrous priests along with the priest. Religious leaders who led people away from the word of God are going to specifically be targeted by God and destroyed. That's why James says, be not many among you teachers, knowing you will receive the stricter judgment. False religious leaders are going to track down believers and kill them in the tribulation, and if they could do it now to you, they'd do the same thing. If God were to lift the protective 
restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit that's at work right now, I guarantee you there would be a promotion. We've got to get rid of those people that are talking about the fact that the judgment of God is coming. Now, it's one thing to be a person who worships something false. I mean, you can worship anything you want. You have a mind. You can go out there and worship any place you want and worship anything you want. It's quite another thing if you get people to follow you. And if you get people to follow you and support you, and you get people to take their offerings and give it to places of worship that are presenting false doctrine, that does not sit right with God. We know this judgment has not happened yet because this world is filled with religious leaders that are con men. These are people that play on people's emotions. They're not serious about the Word of God. They don't promote what the Scriptures are actually saying. They don't try to exegetically and systematically analyze stuff. They promote their own agenda. They get up there and read a verse and then wander off who knows where. They don't ever teach a congregation the whole counsel of God. God says, you need to know this. There will come a day, I've kept records of these guys, and I will cut them off, I'll put them out of business and out of existence. I'll even remove their names. I am convinced there will be some big-name televangelists, and when this happens, they'll be saying, who, who are you talking about? That name doesn't ring a bell. He said, I'll remove their names. They thought they were impressive and high and mighty on this earth. He said, they weren't leading people to me, so I'll cut them all off. The eighth promise is, I'll cut off all who worship false gods. In verse 5, and those who bow down on the housetops to the host of heaven. And those who bow down. Most people don't have a clue, as I mentioned, how seriously God takes worship. They don't realize the importance of the place of worship and the kind of worship. Any who says we're gathering together for worship are under the scrutinizing eye of God. I mean, if this is a place, or a place is a place that says we are worshiping the Lord, you're under the scrutinizing eye of God. And God's going to hold the people accountable. He'll hold the leaders accountable for what they're doing. Now, when Dan Duncan was here, from Believer's Chapel. He studied Hebrew a year. He lived in Israel, and he told me about these flat roofs. He used to have to go up at night and do a stint where he would have to go up and kind of look over the city for security purposes. So he'd go up on a flat roof, and he would look out at it. And he also said that there were places where people literally would go up on top of their flat roofs, and they'd worship the sun. They'd worship the moon. They'd worship the stars. They were into astrology horoscopes, all that stuff. You know, I had someone tell me one time, I worship God at home on my own. I said, where'd you get that idea? Because you didn't get it from the word of God. So where'd you get that idea? In fact, I'm convinced God does not accept what you do as worship. We're not the ones who invented the idea of the church. Jesus Christ is the one who says it's his body, the church. God did it. And those who worship apart from true worship, God says, I've kept records. I'll cut them off. The ninth promise is I'll cut off those who worship more than just God. Now, verse 5 is intriguing. And those who bow down and swear to the Lord and swear by Milcom. I'll give you a little Hebrew lesson here. Hebrew words are based on three radicals 
which are called consonants. So any word you read in Hebrew, the only reason we have vowels with these words is we do it for English-speaking purposes, and the only reason a Hebrew text has been vowel-pointed is so we could pronounce the words, because the actual Hebrew words from which this come are malek or mlk, which refers to a king. Now what is stated here is there were people who were obviously going to say they're worshiping God, verse 5, but they also were worshiping some false deity or king. It may have been a leader. I mean, it may have been they literally were worshiping a king, or it's probably a reference to Molech, who was a pagan deity. But there are believers who think we can just worship God, we can duck into church and worship God on the Lord's Day on Sunday, and then we can also worship the world. Makes no difference to God. There's only one way to worship God. And that is through Jesus Christ. You can't have two masters. You either are dominated by one or the other. You must have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other name whereby men may be saved. It's not faith in Jesus Christ plus something else, or faith in Jesus Christ plus someone else, or faith in Jesus Christ plus you. It's faith alone in Jesus Christ. And faith alone in Jesus Christ is that which enables us to worship the Lord. But these people were thinking, oh, we need more than that. It's not just faith in God. We need more than that. God said, I will cut you off. It's a dangerous warning. Which brings us to the tenth promise. I will cut off those who turn back from following me. Verse 6, and those who have turned back from following the Lord. Inevitably... A half-hearted commitment to the Lord turns away from the Lord, turns away from the truth. Every now and then you'll see people, and for a while they seem to be on fire, and they're revved up, and they've got this emotional surge. But then when the dust of that all dies down, because they're not really carefully studying the scriptures to be fed the word of God, they're not really interested in following God. It turns out to be a religious show and religious sham. Turn away from understanding and applying the word of God. Just say, I don't need any more of the Word of God. I'm just going to turn back from following. I don't need to understand any more books of the Bible. You're turning on a path of judgment. And God can cause a world to fall apart quick. Which brings us to the 11th promise. God will cut off people who've not sought the Lord. Verse 6, and those who've not sought the Lord or inquired of him. This is what God wants. God wants people seeking him. He wants people seeking the word. There's a small remnant of people. They believe in the Lord. They're serious about understanding the word of God and applying the word of God. God says, those are my remnant. I'll protect them. I'll prosper them. In fact, later in this book of Zephaniah, he promises some amazing things to that remnant who purposes to be right with him. But people who are not interested in seeking the word of God or the will of God, there is coming a day when they're going to lose and then he says, God will cut off those that don't inquire of him. That's how he ends the section. Or inquire of him. I guess a good question for us to ask is, how much time do you actually spend talking to God? I mean, how much time do you privately, you don't have to answer me on this, spend in your own private world talking to the Lord? 
as the text says, inquiring of him. We need to certainly be asking God to give us wisdom. We all need that. What God is saying here through Zephaniah is, look, you don't want to turn away from the truth here. Because the news that God has for a nation, the news that God has for a city or for a state or for an individual that turns away from the truth, it's not good. It's deadly. So turn to Jesus Christ right now. If you will turn your life over to Jesus Christ, you never have to worry about being cut off from God. But there are a lot of religious places that will tell you, judgment's no threat. Hey, you got a good life. Judgment's no threat. Just keep living your life any way you want. It's good. Zephaniah says, that's a lie. And don't you believe it. Hot water does not freeze faster than cold water, no matter what anyone says. Judgment is coming. Worship anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ and the true God of the Bible, and you'll lose. That's how Zephaniah opens this book in the first six verses. Let's pray. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, this would be a great opportunity for you to settle it. Just admit you're a sinner like all of us. Invite the Lord Jesus Christ to come in and take over your life. Our Father, our passion is to be part of that remnant that when you analyze us as individuals and as a church, you're pleased with what you see. We have nothing to be ashamed about because we're serious about you and your word. I pray that would always be the testimony of this fellowship. For anything that you've done here today, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.